Bonjour à tous, ici Jerry Rochon de retour pour une petite chronique gratuitive. C'est un plaisir de ne parler que les gars. <rire> um, uh, je parlais récemment d'ailleurs de Ken Dryden, qui est extrêmement sympathique, qui, euh, qui me contait comment il s'ennuie énormément du Salon des métiers d'art de Montréal. Un, peu de gens savent ça, mais Ken est un grand amateur de veille soufflée. Uh, ce qui n'est pas sans rappeler la, la conversation que j'ai avec Scott Niedermeyer, il parlait qu'il s'ennuie énormément de la programmation du Festival Montréal en lumière. C'est des, des gars passionnés, c'est des gars très intenses. Euh, c'est um, finalement qui je pourrais vous compter. Oui, Hayley Wackenizer, une grande femme. Peut-être peut la Lady Die Jockey, euh, peut-être sans les, 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 la portion euh, accident euh, tragique de voiture puis la mort, peut-être. Mais également, euh, je, je terminais peut-être avec une, une anecdote sur Eddie Shore, euh, qui, qui, qui était un gars qui, avec qui j'avais une belle euh, rivalité, euh, que lui et Elmer Lack, qui des gars qui, euh, je m'étais déjà battu dans une ruelle euh, pour cause de vol de pog. Euh, les gars avaient été tentés de me subtiliser mes pog, ce qui est quelque chose qui ne se, se fait pas. Et puis, il y avait une bataille. Je me suis dit dans le coin de Atwater, à peu près, pas loin de, 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 de l'ancien forum. Et donc, euh, donc, voilà. donc euh, tout pour dire, des gars extrêmement sympathiques. Merci, Jerry. Jerry qui avait insisté pour venir vous parler aujourd'hui. C'est euh, toujours un plaisir de le recevoir. Euh, en direct du paradis. Donc, euh, Jerry Rochon, mesdames et messieurs. Ah, Jerry. Aujourd'hui, un épisode euh, que peut-être vous, euh, vous avez reconnu en hein, ce nom, Pavel Barber, qui euh, qui n'est pas son vrai nom, Pavel. C'est en honneur de son idole, Pavel Datsuk. Vous allez apprendre dans le podcast quel est le vrai nom de ce jeune Ontarien euh, début trentaine, qui est Pavel Barber, que vous connaissez probablement des réseaux sociaux comme moi. C'est un gars qui... Un œil très fascinant pour le hockey. Il, euh, je te dirais que c'est un pédagogue du stick handling et des skills en général. On peut le suivre sur YouTube, euh, ses comptes Instagram. Moi, je suis plus sur Instagram. C'est Hey Barber, son compte euh, personnel qui a au-dessus de 600 000 abonnés et Pavel Barber Training, qui sont ces vidéos vraiment spécifiques qui euh, qui décortiquent des jeux comme toi cette semaine au moment d'enregistrer. Il décortiquait le le but de Tyler Toffoli contre les Sens, ou des, des petites manœuvres où tu te rends compte que dans le fond, son but contre, euh, quand il a déjoué Brandstrom, c'était pas si banal, il a tassé. Il y a comme un move où tu laisses la rondelle de côté et tu tasses le bâton du défenseur pour, en tout cas, bref. Ça, c'est des, tous des petits détails. Il, 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 il dissèque les tirs de shootout. Il, il dissèque beaucoup de Patrick Kane. C'est vraiment au niveau technique, des fois, de regarder, regarder ça. Puis, ce qui est vraiment cool, c'est qu'après ça, tu peux aller à passer et l'essayer et euh, te faire à croire que tu vas être aussi bon. Non, non, mais pour vrai, intégrer des trucs à la game et ça c'est c'est franchement fascinant euh, c'est un gars avec qui j'essaie de, de de rentrer en contact depuis un certain temps et puis euh, finalement ça s'est ça s'est passé et puis c'est un gars très très sympathique très gentil très généreux avec qui on a fait un podcast euh, de plus qu'une heure et quart où on a vraiment couvert l'ensemble euh, de, de son parcours alors qu'il y a on dit ça souvent dans la vie comme faut créer sa niche faut créer son c'est comme oui mais en même temps c'est les comptables ne créent pas leur niche là c'est un métier qui existe déjà mais lui a vraiment euh, profité de l'ascension un peu des, des réseaux sociaux pour vraiment créer euh, une, ça créer une job dans le fond qui n'existait pas vraiment avant donc euh, très très cool puis vraiment vraiment sympathique gars euh, d'ailleurs il était passé à Montréal l'été dernier pas pandémique mais l'autre d'avant euh, faire des camps, puis j'avais essayé de le contacter justement à ce moment-là, puis euh, je pense que c'était tombé dans, dans une craque, mais c'est un gars qui fait aussi des camps avec des jeunes un peu partout, et qui travaille aussi avec des, euh, des gars de la Ligue nationale, des Jake Vertanen, des Jonathan Taves, euh, qui est là en ce moment, est, est sur la liste des blessés, mais qui euh, en fait, qui n'a pas joué cette année, parce qu'il est comme une... On ne sait pas quest ce qu'il a fait. Bon. Mais là, je, 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 je digresse, digresse, dis... Euh, euh, peu importe. Euh, donc, euh, voilà, donc c'est un gars qui, qui travaille quand même avec des gars de la NHL. Tous les gars de la NHL savent 
qui est Pavel Barber. Il y a deux choses en commun. Les gars de la NHL écoutent Spin Chicklets puis ils savent qui est Pavel Barber. Donc euh, voilà, on parle de tout ça avec lui, qui est en fait un gars de hockey de gazon. Ça, c'est quand même assez drôle. Euh, voilà. Euh, je pense... Ah oui, c'est ça. Il fallait que je lise quand je l'ai rencontré. Je l'ai rencontré 13 novembre 2020. Donc, euh, c'est euh, pour ça que là, des fois, il y a des... Vous allez entendre les petits d'un enregistrement Zoom parce que euh, on n'avait pas encore euh, le système autant en point qu'en ce moment. Donc, des fois, les petits pendant une, une phrase, c'est euh, graciosité de Zoom ou et ou de mon mauvais Internet. Donc, 13 novembre 2020, Pavel Barber. Quoi? Oh, excusez, il y a Jerry qui voulait vous dire un petit mot juste avant qu'on aille à l'épisode. Je vous rappelle, si vous savez, si, si, vous, <rire> si vous écoutez de la cité, vous aimez ce que les gars font, allez sur Patreon, ok? Puis, il y a des rabbits, par oui, 5%, c'est bonne annuellement, okay? c'est un deal, c'est carrément, c'est du, du Costco rendu là. <rire> Et puis, c'est vraiment, c'est juste des gars qui travaillent fort, c'est des producers Tom et David, c'est des pauvres petits gars, puis c'est des gars qui, qui, qui ont des produits de qualité avec une certaine constance, je crois. Et puis, donc, c'est ça, donc, alors, euh, si, si, je, je vous encourage, allez, dire ce type, c'est bonne annuellement, t'es un rabbit 5%, puis je vous rappelle que c'est des gars extrêmement sympathiques. Merci, Jerry. Alors, euh, on va aller à l'épisode et c'est euh, Pavel Barber qui est adressé le tape. Le voici. Pavel Barber. Dresse le tape avec David Bocage. So after a few months of uh, emailing and uh, back and forth, here is uh, Pavel Barber we've been wanting to have on for years now, and uh, who's very well known from hockey communities. Even though you only speak French, you do know Pavel Barber because you do follow him on Instagram. Pavel, how, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. It's uh, it's good to be on the podcast. Well, th good, good to have you on, man. Honestly, it's um, it's been a while, uh, and... Um, Actually, I think you even came to Montreal like last summer or something. Yeah, I was you? there last uh, last summer doing doing a hockey camp there. Cool, in Laval. In the Laval Beach, of course, was uh, <laughs> North Chow and uh, North North Shore of Montreal. How did you uh, how did you enjoy your uh, Montreal time? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it's a it's a great city. Um, you know, just uh, I was kind of in the hotel and then in the rink and then back, but I, I definitely made some time to see the city. Uh, during the tail end of it, and uh, I've been there a, a few times before, so always yeah. love Montreal. It's a, it's a great city. It's like a like a musician on tour. You go to the, to your gig, you come back to the hotel, and then you leave. And next yeah, thing you yeah, oh, exactly. And uh, yeah, I've started to make time now to actually like see the cities because I realized I was doing all this traveling, but it was like I never really see the city. So right, uh, I'll always like maybe book an extra day or arrive early just to make sure and. Uh, Yeah, just just see everything I can with the time I got. Where did your job lead you? Like places you never thought you'd go, or, or you, you didn't think there would be hockey there? Where did you go? Like craziest places? Uh, well, probably Japan. I mean, the the craziest one that uh, you know you don't think there's much hockey there or whatever. Uh, Japan, been to Thailand, been to Malaysia, been to uh, Manila, like Malaysia, Mal Malaysia. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> crazy crazy like you never think they have hockey there and when you do go to the rinks it's like the warmest climate ever the fog's so bad that when you're on the goal line you can't see past the blue line <laughs> it's unbelievable it's like out of a movie it's like someone had a fog machine and just blew it all over the rink yeah. it was crazy <laughs> yeah it's like it reminds me of like the the 70s broad street bullies game you know like with the oh yeah fog. exactly the goalies can yeah. see the puck or 
it's like yeah. a high school a high school dance you know? <laughs> like, yeah that's it that's exactly it man it was it was wild but a good time ice conditions were were pretty bad but you know they they're doing what they got with what yeah. they have right so for sure that's uh, good to see how is, is it uh while you were in japan that you actually met uh the youngster uh, aito iguchi the guy you did a video yeah with yeah and- so i i i knew him well before that probably uh four years prior uh to that uh i was just working online with him uh, primarily and then um he came to vancouver uh, a few times in between and he was basically like you know come out to vancouver we'll get a bunch of guys so i worked with his school team uh him personally and then his club team uh the whole time i was there because back then you were based in vancouver whereas now you're in yeah. toronto okay yeah exactly yeah where were you in vancouver at the time uh, uh it's pretty pretty central like right in the in the middle of the city can village like 10 minutes from downtown uh vancouver there so a good spot is, is there like a reason why you moved out west in the first place yeah uh, i moved out there to play field hockey for team canada so oh, right. um was... yeah that was the reason we just had to pick up and move everything in order to play nationally there so um yeah just i was uh 20 21 at the time and it was a good opportunity and i was pretty amped for it so uh yeah that's the only reason i i moved out there in the first place was just for that right we, we we've a lot of people have seen the feature you did with ito you know anyway i guess like 13 or something like that and mm-hmm. now it's been like already a few years uh since you guys have done that video and uh i i guess people are wondering what's what's up with with ito Yeah, he, I mean, the latest thing is he, I mean, he did the USHL combine a year and a half ago, uh, performed pretty well, uh, got drafted pretty late there. And now he's kind of in the midst of deciding where he's going to go and play and train. So I kind of just leave that up to him. I'm not very involved with the decision-making process. Uh, when they want my advice, I give it to him. So like my advice was to move here when he was 12. Uh, right. I thought that was an appropriate age to do it. I think 15 is quite a bit too late um but they're very strict on school there in japan and they want to make sure they get a good education which i respect and and all that so uh he was kind of one foot in one foot out i guess uh in terms of coming to uh north america but he did make sure to come here and train uh through the spring and, and stuff like that which isn't it's not nothing so he knows the level and he's got like uh, a little bit of it but i just wanted him to get used to the speed the pace of play decision making skill that stuff is tough when you're coming from a market where you're, where you have all the time and space in the world it's very difficult to be just thrust into a, a a type of hockey like north america where everything is quick uh you're under pressure quite a bit and you have to find creative solutions before they happen so um But you know I, what? It's it's good that he's he's pursuing it. <laughs> of course, and because I, I was told, I think like last year he came to the. He almost. I was told last year he was actually playing in the USHL, and then at this very last second, he backed out and went to Japan. So yeah, because yeah, I, I think he uh, yeah just for development. I think he was thinking he needed another year or, or something like that. Uh, but again, that's something that's funny. Like people think I'm heavily involved with that stuff but for me it's just if they need advice they know where to find me i give them the advice and other than that balls in their court they do what they think is right with uh development yeah absolutely do you um where do you like 
because you've seen him play like more than we have and and you've seen him i guess over the years and what do you think he projects to be like a, a college player a, a pro player what do you see for for him yeah it's it's tough i mean to be honest, it's like obviously making a pro for anybody is very very low percentage i'm never going to say to anyone you're never going to be a pro player uh there's stories out there that shock the shock the hell out of you right with how good people get um for him i think a, a very uh good route to take would be to go to college um and then just see where it pans out from there i think the extra years of development are required for someone who's not used to this level of hockey so maybe playing uh you know college an extra you know three maybe even the full four four years there um could be good for him and then he comes out of that and thinks about where he is development wise and what leagues he can actually uh go to from there but and how uh, how, how tall is he right stuff. now he's like five foot five so he is quite short um for uh, a 15 turning 16 year old yeah. so obviously it's like you know size and as big of a factor in today's game it's still a factor uh like i tell people it's It's not impossible. It's just harder. There's uh, levels of the game that are harder for you, but you have to build your skill set around your size. So a guy like Aito is very crafty with that, and he knows his. Uh, with being small, you have to be very, very aware of your surroundings. You have to be a great puck distributor. You have to have great elusiveness and edge work, which he kind of builds his game around. So he's done a great job there for sure. Because especially being a, a, a you know smaller kid uh, we're talking about the college game college is so i mean crash and bang, bang and crash yeah. game and it's like 24 year old guys like 220 pounds so it's yeah. uh you gotta be ready to play there because it's mean it's mean hockey you do you do yeah. you gotta you gotta know what's coming at the very least you don't have to play that style of game yeah but you have to be prepared to play against that style of game for sure absolutely <laughs> we uh we've talked about you, you've mentioned like oh you, you would never tell like a kid that you're never going to play a pro which is a good thing because that's our that's what marty's saying we got told all his life and he just oh, he just man, built yeah. up his uh his you know confidence and but uh um Everyone, when they see your videos, they go, "Hey, that guy is very skilled. How how is he not in the NHL? You know that you must have been asked. <laughs> you must have been asked that like I don't know how many times. Like, why would you not be in the NHL yeah. if you're actually teaching NHL guys, uh, NHL guys like some skills and 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 stuff in clinics? So, so the question is, people ask you, why didn't you play the NHL? As if it was easy, of course, which is not. But what, yeah. how did it go for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like I was i was the type of kid who played all sports growing up, never specialized in a single one. Hockey was by far my favorite. Uh, I was good at it. I don't—I wouldn't say I was great at it. Uh, when you talk about, you know, guys who are going to the OHL and above, right? It's like you have to be so good. And I laugh, I laugh every time I read a comment like that, like that's saying, why aren't you in the NHL? I understand it. They're young. They, they see like, oh, good hands and He can do this kind of stuff and he teaches it well. And I totally understand it. As a kid, it's tough to know what it takes to make it in the NHL. So, um, you know, it's funny. I laugh at it. I don't take it as like a, you know, an ego thing. It's like, I know exactly why I'm not in the NHL. <laughs> I'm not anywhere good at, near good enough. But what, are the, what are those what are those reasons for those who don't know you who haven't who haven't seen you played in a game like yeah well i think it's it's just the all-around thing it's like you know i tell people it's like you know having stick handling skills and and stuff like that isn't any anywhere near enough uh 
in terms of having a well-rounded skill set. I mean, my skating was okay growing up, was nowhere near elite. Um, you know, decision-making skills, time under pressure, physicality, uh, stuff like that. It's just, you know, as I, as I played uh, growing up, I was just kind of playing for fun. I loved the game. Uh, I think from age like eight, up, I, I never had uh, any want to like play pro or anything like that but i did want to be as good as i could uh at the game and and loved it but uh until what which like which which level did you play uh and like at at what level did you stop playing or, or how far up did you make it yeah so when i was 18 i played double a up until i was around 18 and then they had an under 21 uh league uh under 21 triple a league in in toronto where I was splitting time between school and, uh, and between, uh, field hockey at the time. So I was like, Oh, I'll just play in this league. It wasn't, uh, anything serious. Uh, I didn't, I couldn't commit to, to junior A at the time with, with field hockey and everything. because I was having to miss a ton of games. So, uh, I just opted to go that route. And then once 21 hit, I was off to, off to Vancouver to pursue the field hockey. But you could have played junior A, junior A, you believe, like at that. Point? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I I think I was good enough at the time for sure to do that. Obviously, it's like you know anyone can say anything, but uh, I think that was something I was set on doing before I got the call from the the field hockey Canada guys, and I was like, okay, you know what, this is right. something I I want to pursue. But you never, you never ended like you never thought I should. That East Coast thing, East Coast uh, hockey trial or whatever. You never like bothered like I should. I should try to play pro or anything. Yeah, like not really. Um, for me, when I was young, there was no thought of like you know. I, for me, it was always I wanted to play hockey the rest of my life and I wanted to be involved in hockey. But for me, it wasn't like oh, I need to go to this league. I need to go here. I kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to have a job in hockey, uh, and I love the instruction side, which I figured later and later as I as I got older, from like 22 to 25, I was like, man, like I love this stuff. Like I love the development aspect and studying the game and analyzing things and making people better and and all that. So that's I think my mindset was just always geared towards uh, helping helping other people and just the instruction side uh, of hockey. We'll get back to floor and field hockey later because that's like a thing. I think that is not very well known in, in Canada. People only think about ice hockey. For but sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll start with what you just mentioned, which is your job. You know, there's a motto we, we hear a lot is create your own job. We hear that a lot. Create your own, which is like as if it were like easy or like, yeah, I want to. <laughs> but it, it's actually hard. And it, it, I think it's, it's interesting with you because you actually did create a niche that didn't exist before that. People didn't. Then kids didn't grow up thinking I'm gonna do videos about hockey and be paid for it. Like people did not; it was not a thing. You could not do that. So the question is, how did you start doing that? You know, how did it came about? How did you start doing what became your job? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. The story is kind of anticlimactic in that I didn't really have <laughs> I, a plan. I love uh, those. I love those. Those are the best ones. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of just. Uh, story built out of authenticity and just, you know, me having a passion towards something, doing it to the best of my ability, putting myself out there and then slowly watching it grow into something over time. And there was no plan of, Oh, I'll go stage one, then stage two, stage three. It was just, you know, do the best you can with what you got and then build from there. And it started with me just doing like shootout videos on my friend 
with this uh, garbage like phone, we'd lean up against a crate and uh, we, we got a lot of views from that. We were getting uh, a lot on Instagram, which had just introduced 15 second videos at the time that right. I had started, which was right. great timing for me. Super lucky uh, at that time to get that. So it was like putting up clips, really quick clips of uh, shootout moves people hadn't seen before or really creative uh, moves, whatever it was. Uh, and from there, I just kind of grew my following. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, my passion is largely uh, instruction. So I want to be able to not only entertain these people, I want to actually help them. So we built in like tutorials into the YouTube channel. And then on the side, I was doing it for my job, which is my main source of income is actually doing the instruction side. Um, so everything kind of slowly, slowly built uh, from there. What was your actual daytime job at the time? At the top, I had multiple. So I was uh, I was working as an on-ice instructor at the UBC Hockey School uh, in British Columbia there at the university. Uh, I was yeah, my, 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 my sister actually attended at UBC. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Awesome school. Um, and then I was coaching two field hockey teams at the time, and I was a referee for like a young kid's uh uh, ice hockey thing like I had so like I had like four jobs at the time because we needed uh, they cut our funding for field hockey which I was relying on before so it became like this thing where it's like you know you have to you know get your own job outside of it and I needed a flexible job which none of those were so I had to work minimal hours in all four and then luckily over time like it built into something where I could just toss all those jobs aside focus on my one thing and grow it. I, I would have imagined you like working in an office and like at a computer, but <laughs> actually it was none of that. You were, it was all hockey related from the get-go. Oh man, I'd go nuts in a cubicle. I, I can't last in those environments. <laughs> so would I. Uh, and that's why we're talking today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, um, so you, you started doing those videos with your friends. Were you good at like editing and like, like those like filming and all that stuff? Did you know any about that or? not not really i was like with the basics of editing i could cut and split well uh but that was it man i wasn't doing color correction none of that other other stuff transitions and stuff uh and with filming uh, i knew it looked good but i wasn't uh you know overly knowledgeable in that department either so it was just like figure it out as you go and how long from the moment you started until that actually became your full-time job Uh, I would say probably a year to a year and a half. And I made sure to not rush into it because I was like, I was working with friends at the time to give them instruction for free. And for me to be like, did this make sense? Did this not make sense? Am I talking too much? Because I wanted to learn how to, how to teach it. Because a lot of people don't know like anything about instruction. They think, oh, like, you know how to do it. You'll be a good teacher. And it's not that if that's not true at all like people always make the assumption like oh uh you know nhl players will just be great coaches and i mean if that were true wayne gretzky would have been the best coach ever but we all know how that turned out right it's just not sure. not the same so I, i i was trying to learn how to teach for like close to a year uh right. and then after i felt confident i started to branch out and allow like a lot of clients to hire me and Uh, just word of mouth, like didn't do any advertising, just kind of work with local kids and tried to do the best job I could and uh, grew from there. When you started doing that full job, like what are your sources of revenue? Like where does the money come from? Like sponsors, personal, what is it? 
yeah, we had we had government money coming in from for Field Hockey Canada at the time. So we were getting like uh, monthly income from a thing called Own the Podium funding. Right. Uh, and that's for like, because uh, field hockey is an Olympic sport. So we were All getting right, right, some okay. fun- Yeah. Yeah, so I, some, I, I thought I, I, I meant like being uh, when you started be doing the, the the hockey barber thing for for a living. It was oh yeah, like, like that how, was how do you that was it that? then when uh, when I was doing it, it was just it would just be that. Uh, but that I I only started because uh, I was doing it at the time I was playing field hockey for Team Canada. So at the start, I was kind of split uh, between two incomes there. And then once I stopped playing field hockey at the tail end of 2015, I pretty much said, I'm done with the sport. I started to like not enjoy it uh, at all. And I was like, I just want to pursue this hockey thing. And that was of course at the time where I knew financially I was good and I could actually make this. Uh, it was, it was still scary. Cause you're like, wow, I'm, you know, putting all my eggs in one basket here and, and betting yeah. on myself, but you have to bet on yourself, I think. And I, you know, crunched the numbers and I was like, this is doable. And I, I can allocate a, lot more time to this whole thing once i don't have to train six days a week with field hockey so what is it what does a typical day in, in paddle barber's life look like like what do you do when you get up in the morning what does it look like yeah so get up in the morning have uh have my breakfast and then usually do something active uh cardio wise i just i need it to like wake up if i don't i feel like sluggish and sleepy throughout the day uh and then usually in the af- late afternoon or evenings we'll have like a, a practice session with uh with some kids there uh usually do like small groups is what i specialize in so anywhere between like five and six kids is what i ideally like to do because i like to be very specific with instruction and you can't do that with like 30 kids a lot although i still do camps like that in the summer and they're advantageous but i like the one-on-one stuff more Where I can talk specifically to the kid and address their, uh, you know, pitfalls and, and all that stuff. Um, and then I try to make time for myself to, uh, be able to play the sport and have fun. So now that we're in the winter time in Toronto, I'll be on the outdoor rinks all like five times a week, uh, you know, if they open or whatever the COVID restrictions are here. What, What has the COVID thing changed for you? Well, right now the rinks are all locked up uh, and the like, obviously like all the bars and all the restaurants right now in Toronto are, there's no dine-in right now because they're getting really, really serious because uh, we just apparently like, like there's new records every single day here in Toronto at least. So yeah, um, yeah it's getting very restrictive, but uh, I mean, I'm good. I'm, I'm always good. Like, uh, riding solo so when i'm doing like my cardio or my workouts i'm i'd rather be alone anyway but uh yeah it just makes things more difficult i think with my job um you know being able to rent ice and get get uh, five kids together for sessions is quite tough yeah so so as you mentioned you you, you do do you do that like every day the sessions on ice with kids like not every day but okay. most days yeah yeah but this because there's a huge market in toronto like a lot of very Uh, you know, uh, highly skilled amateur teams. Like I was last year, was having like I was having the guy from the uh, Quebec Pee Wee tournament, and he's like, "Oh, like, oh yeah, like uh, Toronto is a juggernaut. Like we we know every year we're gonna have at least X amount of teams just from the Toronto area because it's like all the the Tavares and all those damn coasts, They all come from those very highly skilled teams. So I I think that the market for you is huge, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that was one of the main components to why I moved back to Toronto from Vancouver 
Um, I mean, being from here, I knew the lay of the land pretty well. I knew the market. I already have a bunch of clients here, but just the amount of work you can get in Toronto as an instructor is like 10 times what you can get certainly in, in Vancouver. So it just made uh, sense business-wise to, to move back here. Absolutely. We didn't even mention, like I didn't even ask you to, from the get-go. I was like, what name should I call you? I didn't know if I should call you Pavel. That's the, like the personal name, but that's not your actual <laughs> name. Your actual name is? It's Brandon. Yeah. So it like, Usually people would uh, call me like barber growing up. Right. So it's like uh, no one ever called me Brandon. So it's, it's like me not having that name associated with me much is like not even a stretch. So it's, it's either Pavel or Barber, uh, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. And how did the, what's the story behind the Pavel nickname? How did that come about? Yeah, that was a funny one. So it's like when I was starting my YouTube career, uh, I was making Datsuk highlights and I just had a, a YouTube channel dedicated to Datsuk highlights and the channel name was just my name. It was just Brandon Barber and it would just be Pavel Datsuk highlights. And I was focusing on all the things that made Datsuk great that people you wouldn't see on paper. So when you look at Datsuk stats, you'd think, Oh, nothing that special, certainly not to the point where you would have like the, you know, greatest player in the game title. But it's like you have to always look well well beyond the stats to tell the value of a player. So that's what that dead, uh, channel was dedicated to. And then when I decided I want to pursue my own thing because I wanted to put my own content out there, uh, but I needed a different name for the channel. So I was like, well, why don't I just uh, put Pavel Barber there? And I put it as a placeholder originally. And this is all through Google+. Plus. So apparently I had changed my name two times prior to that. And... When I tried to change it out of Pavel Barber, it wouldn't let me because I had changed it too many times. So I was like stuck with it. Uh, so it wasn't even like, oh, I'll call myself Pavel Barber and that's it. It was like kind of Google Plus told me like, you're stuck with this. Like you've changed it too many times. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> that how it, that's how it just became, you know, it's stuck. That's right? it. It's right. stuck. And it's a good name for Google searches because it's like a it Russian or... Didn't kids used to call you Pavel on the outside pond or something like that? No, like, no, I mean, okay. not before the channel. Oh, okay, uh, right, right. Yeah, not before the channel. I was just Barber or Barbs, like, right. uh, before that. So funny, because, like, your actual name, Brendan, as a French-Canadian kid growing up in Montreal, if it had told me, like, what's the name, like, the typical name for a guy playing hockey in Ontario would have been Brendan. Like, it just sounds, it's like... <laughs> One of the names you just keep hearing, like Taylor, like Tyler, yeah. Brendan, Connor. <laughs> yeah. what, that's yeah. what it's, in my French Canadian mind, I was like, yeah, Brendan, that's the, isn't that the, the norm? They're like, all the, named that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah, so you did, you, you, that's how you became Pavel. How, like, how often do you get yelled at in, on the street, Pavel, hey, is that, does that happen any often? <laughs> not, not much. Um, like it's happened before, but it's always in rinks. Like if I'm in a rink, uh, I mean, even at right. like leaf games, I'll get stopped like a couple of times, nothing to the point where it's like, you know, uh, like real celebrities would be stopped like every right. second. And it's annoying with me. It's like random a, a few times, like, uh, but in public so rarely that I hardly even notice, but in like minor hockey rinks, usually if there's a bunch of kids there, then yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. happen happens quite a bit, but certainly not to the point where it bothers me. Cause it's, uh, I'm not in those situations my times. And, uh, if I need to take a picture, it's, it's not a, 
not a big deal. Like I, I don't mind that stuff. When people ask you, what's your job? You know, if anyone that doesn't know you, because you've been doing like the, the YouTube thing, the clinics and, and all that. What do you say? What, 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 how do you qualify? What, 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 how do yeah. you call your job? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, it's funny when you're looking for a new place and you're trying to tell the, the people you're applying for the place, what you do for a living, what I do, it doesn't sound good. It's like, oh, doesn't sound like you'll be able to pay the rent every first <laughs> yeah. of the month. Yeah, yeah. You do exactly. videos. Good. I See do you. videos. Never All come right. back. Yeah. Thanks for your application. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like mainly I say like I'm a hockey instructor, do traveling hockey schools all across North America uh, and beyond, but probably North America. That would be my number one thing I would say. And then on the side, I just, I kind of just say I do social media advertising. Um, like the influencer title, I think is kind of spread out where anyone can say they're an influencer in some way. But for me, it's like, you know, I do social media for my own thing. And then the way I monetize it is I do advertising uh, with companies I actually like. Uh, so I get to choose the companies, which is nice. And But that's what it is. It's all it's all advertising and marketing through my social right. media feeds. So that's kind of what Let I Let me say. guess. GoPro, true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, They're the brands what, I work with most. <laughs> when was the last time you paid for a hockey stick? Oh man, you know what's funny, man, is uh growing up we were like real poor, like like did not have enough money to get good sticks at all. So I was I remember I wanted composite sticks really, really, really uh a lot, and I would pick them like broken ones out of garbage cans and I would cut the bottom and I put a replacement blade in. Yeah. Uh just to get the two piece. So like oh, I did yeah. that for like so many years and was like never paid probably more than sixty or seventy bucks for a stick growing up and all my buddies obviously have like the $200 synergies and stuff like that. And, but, now, uh, and now you have so much. I think I even saw you did a sale on sideline swap. Yeah. Now just I have, too much stuff. Yeah. I have so many sticks and they're all like, th like the best sticks ever. And it's funny. It's like, I could have used these when I was playing younger. Now I'm like an instructor and I have like the top lines from like PCM Bauer yeah, warrior yeah, yeah. crew And it's, it's obviously nice to have, and it's all th for marketing purposes. And, um, and it's fun to test them out and to actually see the differences and to give people like actual feedback on the technology that's in them. Right. I'm learning a lot uh, about sticks and how they're made, but it, it's funny now, like having all these sticks at my disposal, whereas when I was younger and actually playing and competing, I was picking them out of garbage cans. <laughs> right. W would you be using a true uh, stick if you weren't paid to do it? Oh, absolutely. So basically I'm not exclusive with any company. Right. Um, and I use all the sticks. Like it's like if CCM sends me one, I'll use it and test it out and I'll, I'll use the Bauer one. And, uh, I, I love that AX9, like the new uh, yeah. uh, true AX9. I'm I, really I use the, I, I use the true stick too. It's, uh, the, the only thing is it's so expensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> God. Yeah. They all I, try, I tried to, I mean, use it over, like I tape it so I over tape it because I try to protect the blade for so it lasts as long as it can. Yeah. But like uh, the good side of COVID, I'm like, at least the stick will last longer. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's the silver lining for me. But yeah, yeah. The, the true sticks are real. Like they have a nice, uh, nice feel, nice whip to it. I like them. Yeah. You were, yeah. I know. When you were talking about being younger, like I remember doing that, like cutting out the blade. And, and I, I know for you, but you had to turn it upside down to put the, the new blade in sometimes. Yeah. I, I would always try not to because it annoyed me 
uh, if it was like a little bit thinner at the top. Yeah. And back then they didn't taper as, as many, of course, like That's what true. you're saying is, is true. true. Like, um, but the ones I would, I would get, and I was so short, which helped cause I could cut it like almost halfway right. on some of these. <laughs> right. So, uh, cause I, I, I did go, I, I, it reminds me when you, you're saying that, cause I, I used to go like to, to this in high school to this private school you know, and, and kids were very like coming from wealthy background. And I mean, we were not poor, but my dad was like, I'm not buying you a Two hundred, three hundred stick. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you're like you're 14, is, yeah. and I and I, it makes sense. Like even right now, as an adult, I'm like, yeah, that's stupid. Like I was not the next Crosby or whatever. Like you're not supposed to buy, and, and I kept. I think I use wooden stick until I was like 18. Like people are like, oh, wow. what, what are you doing? And I like, it was like a 35 buck, you know, uh, <laughs> stick. And I, that was like, look, if you want the the, comp the composite stick, like you pay half, you pay half of it. Yeah. And I was like, fair. <laughs> Damn it! No, I don't want to. So yeah, I, yeah, I so like I, the wood. I like the wood. <laughs> so I so I stuck with the wood, and, and there was this rich kid. Like uh, he became a doctor, of course, and um, he uh, he broke a stick once, and he came by the back like uh, for a stick, grabbed it, and then the, the place stopped, and he looked at the stick, and he and I I kept I remember he looked up and went, "What is that?" And I just screamed, <laughs> "Wood." It's wood. And he was oh like, I think it was the heaviest thing he, he ever, you know, held in his hands. Wow. But I, yeah, uh, that would throw laugh. you off. Eh? Well, it's funny. It's yeah. like, listen to the, the Crosby interview on spit and chicklets. They're like, you know, why do you yeah. stop using the two pieces? And he goes, because they stopped making them. Um, yeah. It's funny. It's like, obviously it's, it's not the stick. It's the player, but the oh, stick yeah. can obviously help. Obvi like there's yeah. a reason why, you're not seeing players use full wood sticks now. They're just not nearly yeah. as good, but uh, you know, so there is a level to which people are just getting brainwashed into believing like, oh, yeah. I mean the, the margins now it's like, it's like $319 sometimes for these high end sticks. Like it's criminal. And, and they, yeah. they have these uh, sites out there that are pro stock sticks and all that. And they're like 150 bucks max. So if you find a pro stock stick that matches your, your specs, then you're good. Like go with that, get it for 150. There's definitely ways to cut it in half or, or what, at least what are, what are, what are those? Like, what uh, are... so pro stock hockey.com there's pro right. stock sticks. There's hockey stick, man. Those are the three that I know of. And they're like $150 price point. Right. So check I, it out, I, yeah. I've been to the Canadians like uh stock sale, you know, when they like they over, Like the Canadians, they have like oh the, those you no know, the the gear they didn't use or like the extra oh, yeah. stuff. So I went yeah. to one of those, and it's so funny because like I think the last podcast we did was with uh, I don't know if you remember David uh, Dearnay. He played for the Canadians for a while. Oh for, yeah, for absolutely. Sure. I, my my dad's a huge Habs fan, so I watch a really? ton of Habs games. Yeah. So your dad, being from Toronto, is a Habs fan. Yeah. Well, he was he was a big fan of uh, Mahovlich. Right. And he was on the lease. And when they traded him, he was like, screw the lease. I hate you. I, I'm a Habs fan now. So he's so, like, he hates the lease now. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Is it Pete Mahovlich or? Frank uh, no, it, Frank it Frank, Frank Mahovlich. Yeah, right. He's the he's, other brother. Yeah. 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 Because I think my dad's favorite player was like Pete growing up. So that would have been. Okay. That cool. would have been too big of a connection there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's how, how does he like the Leafs now? I mean, being oh, like. Hates them. Oh, Still to this day, like, oh yeah, yeah. He he just I think he just picked up and he was like from that moment on he's like screw the Leafs, 
you traded my favorite guy. I hate you forever. And he's held that grudge <laughs> forever. pretty strong. Yeah, that's crazy. He, he went with the team winning cups every year. The Canadians back in the day, they just won every year a cup. Oh, yeah, different. absolutely. <laughs> uh, and yeah. hadn't, hadn't won since. <laughs> 67, 67. Yeah, yeah we had actually a Guy Carbonell came on uh, last year and we talked about that 93 cup, and which was the actual last cup we had in Canada. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so let alone. Uh... On prend une petite pause de l'épisode pour que je vous parle d'un truc commanditaire cette semaine. Je nommé Websimaki, la meilleure plateforme d'hockey simulée qui soit. Ah oh, oui, vous l'avez entendu ici, il y a de la tape. C'est un produit en plus 100% québécois. Vous recherchez des, le vrai défi de GM, là. Être, vous pensez, là, c'est facile d'être Marc Bergevin, le bing, bang, boom, les trades, tout ça. Moi, je ferais ça de même. Ouais, ouais. Ouais, ah, viens, viens le faire, gros! Ouais, gros! Je te... Oui, ça touche pas, gros! Ouais, ouais, gros! <rire> ouais, tu... ouais, on va se pogner, gros! Avec ça, tu viens faire ça sur euh, WebSim. Ah, OK, c'est assez facile. C'est là que tu vas voir ce que tu as vraiment dans le ventre, OK? Et là, on parle de l'expérience du GM total. Moi, je te parle du repêchage jusqu'à les hauts trades, jusqu'à... Euh, il y a même le repêchage d'expansion. Il y a toute la patte. C'est la totale, OK? La totale, c'est ça que c'est. WebSim Hockey, il y a même des ligues rétro des années 70 à aujourd'hui. Tu peux mettre tes joueurs préférés de ton enfance. Tu fais ce que tu veux. Tu fais une ligue avec tes chums. C'est, c'est, Honnêtement, c'est nice. C'est ça que j'ai en train de te dire. Ça, ça se passe au WebSimHockey.com. Je pense que c'est assez clair. Je pense que j'ai pas besoin de crier. Je pense qu'on peut avoir du plaisir sans crier. Je pense que je pense, je suis fou. Je suis fou de penser ça. Moi, je pense pas. Moi, je pense que c'est correct. OK, webcmarqué.com. De retour à l'épisode. Yeah, we're talking about six. Crosby used the Sherwood when he got in the league. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, the I two remember. Piece. Yeah. I think he had to like spray paint it black because he was like sponsored by CCM and support or stuff like that. He, he's <laughs> very conservative hockey players. Once they like something, they have to. Yeah. But isn't, it, isn't the one piece actually a two piece? Right, as everyone knows, like it's just like covered, but it's actually a two piece, isn't it? Or maybe it's not uh, anymore. But it was for a no. while. No, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely not now. Um, the way they they kind of make them, it's all all kind of in one. They they can you can like customize them. So like when I get my trues, um, like I customize mine to make the blade a little bit lighter than it normally is. So they they have ways to tweak them, but they are all in one one piece now there's no like uh, disconnect from the blade to the uh right. the shaft um, perks perks of yeah. perks of being pavel barber yeah honestly man like it it, it was crazy because it made a big big difference for me um it's those small things that make a big difference but uh i was yeah. like loving the feel as the uh, puck was getting stick handled with that for sure so you did those you, you did those videos for kids but then <laughs> came a point where you got I don't know how that happened, and I'm curious to know, but guys like Jonathan Taves and Jake Vertanen getting to you and say, hey, man, I want to hire you. How did that come to, you know, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, like, talking about Instagram earlier, uh, the the Taves one, that's what that came through. It was just an Instagram DM on my alternate uh, account, Pavel Barber Training, that's dedicated to just training, not so much, like, the fancy right. tricks and stuff. Because I wanted to separate myself from that because people were – kind of getting it in their heads that oh he just teaches lacrosse moves and i'm like i've never taught a lacrosse move at a private lesson a group session or a camp in my life so i was like all right i got to show people what i actually do for a living and and actually help people so created that account and uh through that just got a message from him 
just asking for some off ice uh, drills that he could do three to five times a week. Uh, and from there we just got talking and obviously you get a message from a guy like that. It takes you back and uh, makes you think, wow, look how far you've come Uh big opportunity for you. But at the same time, it's like, just like anyone else, this guy's trying to be a little bit better than he is now. Uh, let's look at the player, Jonathan Taves, see what his skill sets are, what makes him as successful as he is. Don't change him, but let's try and build on him and, and add layers to, to what he has and, and things like that. So that was the whole thought process when he messaged me. And, and then the Vertanen thing was a friend of a friend was his uh, agent and uh, he had gotten word that like uh, Vertanen needed to work on his hands. So I got the, the message from him and uh, just worked with him through that summer uh, in Vancouver there, which was nice because it was, it was local and he uh, didn't live too far away. So we were able to, to get a lot of work in and uh, yeah, great guy, both of them, great guys and a lot of fun to work with them. What you, what'd you guys work on? What would you work on with those guys? Like A lot of different things. Uh, so Vertanen being a, a big, strong, fast kind of power forward. Yeah. We were trying to work on a little bit more uh, lateral moves because he was more kind of straight line guy. Just a few moves to give him a little bit of elusiveness to open up lanes to cut to the middle maybe a little bit earlier. Um, like through watching him, it was apparent that like he he's very, very fast uh, and he's such a big body that he was, when he was driving wide, he wasn't cutting in early enough I think it was either he wasn't aware of it or he wasn't confident enough to do it. But that was one of the things it's like trying to get him to cut in more, just drive right through the hands of the defender as they're reaching out. Because with a body like his, like they're going to, he's going to bump them away, especially if they're overreaching. So things like that for him, certainly the, the first touch uh, being a winger, especially with guys like Patterson on your line, you're going to get the puck a lot. If, if you are on his line on the power play, whatever, um, So those small area touches for him weren't a strong suit. Uh, and that was the basis of what we were working on with, with Vertanen versus a guy like Taves. It was more kind of moves up the middle, like being a center, you're, you're the last uh, line of defense and you're the guy in the breakout in the middle. Uh, so obviously moves on the backhand, moves on the forehand after receiving the puck, little hip, hip opening moves as you're helping along the half wall, Uh, two-on-one moves like that pullback move where you fake the pass, pull it back. Uh, on the strong side, we work from the weak side as well because he's working both sides. Um, and then just puck protection, honestly. Like uh, that you we worked on with both players. No player can work on that enough. So those are the there's a lot more to it, but that, those are the main things we worked on right. with them. How did you – I mean, Jonathan Davis has got such a reputation of being – like having such a, a strong work ethic and he, he, oh, yeah. he was nicknamed Captain Sirius. I think he was 19-year-old at, at, at the time. He was so young, 20-year-old, whatever. And uh, how did you what, – what did you think of the, the, the guy, the, the guy himself, you know? Yeah, I mean, the guy himself, it's like great, great dude, easy to talk to, very, very much didn't <laughs> want you to bullshit him. He wanted you to tell, tell you if, if he was doing the drill and it was dog shit, he'd want to know. And he would tell you like, don't tell me this is good if it's not, or just let me know. And it's like, with me, I'm like, yeah, no problem. Like I'm, <laughs> what I'm here for. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty, that's what I'm, I'm all about. It's like, don't be a yes man. Like if something's not looking good or you don't see an application to it, whatever it is, let them know. These guys are thick skinned NHL veterans. Like you're not going to, mm -hmm make him feel bad for giving him a small critique 
or even opening up their minds to something, get them thinking about something else. So uh, that and and yeah, to his to his credit and what you were saying, his work ethic is is off the charts. And uh, there were times where I had to almost be like, "Do you need water?" Like <laughs> like give him permission to get water because we were right. working pretty hard. And I'm notoriously bad for knowing when to give people water breaks. So <laughs> he was uh, yeah, he worked his his ass off for sure. Did did he uh, did he did he have some you know, feedback for you in the, in the upcoming season and or what like did he like or did he did he believe it it helped or what was his, what was his feedback uh, I mean following the you know the next season Yeah, it was good. It was like the feedback immediately actually after the session. Uh, he was he was talking about the things he felt were were beneficial and uh, how he could see the value in some things, which is it's good to hear. And it's like, you know, from the point of an instructor, you want to get away from like the ego and you want to get to the whole like, is this helping or is it not? Did you find value in this or did it not? And it was nice because it was like unprovoked. I didn't have to ask him anything. We were just shooting the shit. And he was telling me like, you know, I really like this stuff. And and what he really liked too is the fact that I was uh, not overcomplicating things. And that's something I, I like despise in instructors when they like overcomplicate something. I don't care if you're in the NHL or whether you're an eight-year-old kid, there's no point trying to verbally overcomplicate something. Uh, when your, your job is to get a point across to someone in a way they comprehend and that they can put, put their effort towards on the ice and get feedback from. So that was a big thing. And then like, uh, yeah, obviously we're like texting and stuff throughout the season and whenever he's got a break or whatever, It's like uh, sending him more videos or whatever it is uh, to help him along the way. So are you guys still in touch? Yeah. Yeah. Still cool. in touch. Uh, um, like, yeah, during like uh, COVID, obviously, it's like more time uh, to be doing off ice, off ice stuff and, uh, and, right. and things like that. I'm sure Absolutely. I'm sure these guys are getting desperate for ideas and think <laughs> yeah. ways to be better. It's tough. I mean, everyone's in a tough position. And even for me, like knowing the space well, like off ice had to be better. It's not ideal uh, to not be playing games. It's just, it's not the same. You can train on your own as much as you want. Uh, it's just not the same as actually playing in a game. So what Joe Thornton's doing right now, it's like awesome. Like getting yeah. in there, getting your games in, getting your touches in, getting the pace of play, staying in the mix. Uh, it's It's tough to do, so I'm sure these guys are trying to find ways to have at least inner squad games or something like that. Hey, uh, Joe doesn't even count as an import because he's uh, he's got the Swiss uh, license. That's right. So, That's uh, right. You met his wife there, right? Absolutely. In the fir in the first lockout, like to uh, 04, 05. That's right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, Vlasic is a friend of the podcast. We've had him on. He's uh, oh, okay. He's a guy awesome. from Montreal. He's a guy from Montreal, yeah. actually. So. Uh, Uh, but ironically, like Vlasic is from Montreal, but his first language is English, whereas Taves is from Winnipeg, but he always spoke French with his mom. Uh, yeah, because oh, mom, I didn't know that. Yeah, he speaks uh, fluent French, uh, uh, oh, fluent wow. French. Uh, Taves, because his mom is out from like outside of Quebec, uh, Quebec City, so he went to oh, school okay. throughout, like elementary school and high school, French only. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, Taves actually speaks uh, 
or well uh, French. Oh, I'll have to um, speak French to him. I yeah. know about five five words. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh yeah. Anyway, that's because uh, like in 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 Quebec, like you're not gonna learn English through school, and same as in Canada, you're not gonna learn French through school because yeah. you just have like it's just not how it works. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um. But speaking of dissect, because that's what you're good at, you're dissecting. Is it the word dissecting? Yeah dissecting yeah. uh, moves and stuff uh, and that's what you've been doing with videos with the guys who've been hired but one precise thing I wanted to ask you about was a lot of, of guys playing even like just beer leagues or whatever but one of the nemesis of uh, you know, some players is the shootout they just get so nervous oh, for the yeah. shootout they're like ah what am I do and but since you've been dissecting videos of the actual best guys in the world such as you know the canes and the you know uh, uh the oshis and whatever mm-hmm. um what are the few pointers you'd like to give people for the shootouts because there's a few elements that i think keep coming back uh that are very important to that, that probably people don't even sometimes even think of they just come in in a straight line and <laughs> try to Absolutely. go fast or whatever what are the pointers you'd like to give like uh you know players of any age or any type regarding the shootout Yeah, I I think the main thing I say to people is keep your options open because you never know how the the goalie is going to play. Are they going to be further out? Are they going to be further back? Are they going to be cheating blocker? Are they going to be cheating glove? Uh, Whatever it is, are they a lefty? Are they a righty? That that changes a whole lot. Whether you're a lefty or righty changes a whole lot. So think about that move where you fake a forehand shot and curl it backhand. Uh, that is a move highly catered to left-handed shooters because they like, I think it's like 95% of uh, goalies in the NHL are, you know, blocker on the right hand yep. catcher on the left. So with that said, the stick is in the, the blocker hand there. So when you get them moving laterally, the stick moves out of that five hole region more for a lefty when you're faking to go backhand. So that's a, a move that's like, okay, if you're a lefty, absolutely. You got to learn that as a righty, still learn it but it is a lot more difficult uh to do that um but in my overall generalized approach um it's just keep your options open i really really strongly like the uh strong side approach so a righty swinging to the right off the angle lefty swinging from the left kind of like mcdavid mcdavid does it patrick kane does it kovalchuk does it Yeah. Uh, a bunch of other players are doing it now. And all you do is you you stick handle the puck back and you load it up in that shooting area as you come on the angle. And then you're reading. You're, you're reading the goalie, seeing what he does. You have a shot option immediately. You have a backhand option if you want a fake backhand. Then you have a fake backhand forehand option there. So that's like my generalized approach. TJ Oshi, who you mentioned, I did a full breakdown of him. It was one of my first YouTube videos He had a three three move shootout set where he'd swing in strong side, just come down the middle. He would put it in the shooting space, and he would either just rip it five hole, fake five hole backhand, or fake backhand top shelf forehand. And it's like, yeah, having those uh, that set of moves in the back of your mind is one thing. Actually, being able to sell the move uh, and actually do it do it well with good consistency is quite another. So obviously, practicing all those three sets of moves very well and just reading the goalie, seeing what's open uh, to be able to determine where are you best uh, suited to go ball blocker, five hole or, or glove. Yeah. I think perfect. The perfect example of that was Oshie in the Olympics. I mean, he's oh. going up against Bobrovsky. I think he did Four like, for six. Yeah. And one of them, he actually had the open, And Burbowski made a desperate six. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that would, absolutely. That, that would have been five for six, which is 
completely of uh, you know of the chart like oh yeah i think the best guys usually have it like what 30 percent 40 percent whatever so, like 30 percent is very good and 40 See? is like elite and then 50 exactly. is like that's like taves barkov oshi guys right. like that and then you have a guy doing it in the olympics that's like the pressure and uh, it's just crazy but uh, yeah. i'm happy you mentioned the you know keeping your head up and trying to read the goalie because as a kid once one of the things you get told by coaches like have your move in mind then stick to it you know that's what you get yeah, told yeah it's just brutal because if the goalie it reads it you're just done you know whatever like you, you cannot react to the goalie but so the goalie reacts to you anyway but that's funny going like because people think oh the elite shooters they already know what they're gonna do well they know their options but yeah well that's gonna... uh it's funny like when i, I did a uh, fun video with alexander barkov with with yeah. hockey shot where we built that rink there and obviously i'm gonna ask him some questions <laughs> while i got time with him yeah and uh obviously one of the things was like you know do you have a, a move in mind and he said like yes i have a move in mind doesn't mean i'm gonna use it though uh and that's what i say to people and i loved it i was like okay like at least i got like that right for sure on like shootouts because that made the most sense it's like yes you want to have a predetermined move in mind something you're thinking about and visualizing yourself doing but you have to be ready to, you know, pull shoot and go to plan B in between that move, uh, given how the goalie is playing you. So that's, uh, I think the best advice there, just, you know, think about what you, you're going to do, but be ready to change your mind. And you need to have variant, uh, moves to that, yeah. that other move to, to pull out of it. H having access to like, you know, NHL stars and then such talents as Barkov, but you, you've had to, to come, you had the chance to come across many of those. What were the best lessons or the, the, the things you learned from them that you got, Oh boy, I'm going to remember that for, for a long time. What are the, the best things you learned throughout, you know, being in contact with all those elite players, you know? Yeah. I think uh, the main thing is just how the importance of simplicity um around these moves and like the first touch like these players a lot of the time it's like they want to get marginally better oh obviously everyone wants to be a lot better but they know it's going to take take a while and they know if like i could be one percent better uh in this area then that's amazing like that's the difference between getting a shot off and not getting a shot off right so you look at whether it's me like talking with NHL players or me just listening to interviews of them uh, and things like that, whether it's podcasts, whatever, like a lot of them will talk about like getting the shot off a little bit quicker and the little tips and tricks that they use to do that. And you look at like the Matthews drag shot, which isn't new, but the way he does it is revolutionary. So yeah. like people call it the Matthews drag shot, drag shot's been around for many, many years but the way he does it is is so brilliant in that he's able to change the lane like so abruptly uh shoot opposite side shoot same side uh and choose basically when he's going to shooting so he can create his shooting lanes uh in between his shot very very well so little things like that i pick up on with these guys i love whenever they do like uh they did that thing with matthews actually with a, an ex nhl they went on the ice and they talked through the drag shot how he learned it and what he looks for and you're just like cool like i i'm such a nerd for that stuff like i'll listen right. all day to an nhl or telling you little tips right? speaking of skills development we uh, we had a chance with the podcast to go to sweden uh, where we had a chance to meet with with Fors peter forsberg and marcus nazan and uh, awesome. many guys yeah it was awesome and um 
And we also had a chance, probably, because people, I think, listen to it because they wanted to hear our Forsberg or our Nesland interviews. But the one I, I was, you know, the, the people keep coming up to me about is the one where we met the president of, uh, you know, Swedish Hockey Federation. His name is Tommy Bustet. And uh, it, it was just such an interesting uh, conversation because the guy is a, is a goddamn genius at, at uh, you know, innovation through hockey. And now... I believe the NHL players are 10%, 10% of NHL players are coming from Sweden, which is huge. It's crazy. It's, it's huge. huge for their population. Yeah. I mean, there, there are less people in Sweden than in Ontario. That's just, that's, oh, yeah. that, that's crazy. Yeah. That, and, and having one way less ranks too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's true. So having one tenth of the best uh, you know league in the world is, is amazing. And, and, and the thing we were talking about how they, how they did it and, how they, they build a system and, and, and how they work that. It was really heavily uh, about first making it fun for kids, but starting with the skills, you know, skating skills, shooting, passing, and, and really focusing on skills and ice time and making the best as they can, which, and it worked. I mean, they sat around 2000 and now the generation from that is now in the NHL. And, and then you come back to Canada and people are asking, ah, oh, there are less Canadians in the NHL and they're going down and stuff and stuff like that. And, and I, I feel like we should relearn from that. Um, yeah. Overseas. Have you ever been in contact with or in touch with Hockey Canada? Or have you been asked by them or have you approached them about like maybe looking at our development system and, and maybe making things better, you know, on so, on so many levels? Yeah, ne never been in, in contact with them, really. Um, I mean, I'm obviously keeping close tabs on them. I watch their stuff. Uh, a lot of it is like, you know, stuff I agree with, of course. And then a lot of it is like, you know, could use a lot of improvement. It's tough when in Canada uh, and any any hockey population that's dealing with a mass population, it's tough to uh, heighten the skill level of like hundreds of thousands of people uh you know with with one framework um what sweden's done obviously is is very smart and very innovative and amazing it's a little little bit easier with a smaller population because you're able to reach individual kids more but i 100 agree with you in that that would be my one takeaway from my time in sweden i was in lulio and pto sweden doing camps and like you, I was just like talking to every coach I could because it was so different over there. And I'm like, what are you guys doing over here? What's different? Like, what, uh, what's your mindset behind this and that? And it was all, all about, uh, you know, raising the level of each kid and keeping everyone within the same organization. So you talk to Victor Hedman, he's like, I've played on two teams in my life, my Swedish club team and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it's like, if you said that, to a kid uh, in Ontario, you'd be like, what? You can't play on one team. That's impossible. Like yeah. you'd be in house league before you know it. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it's crazy. Like they really, really foster their, their thing and they don't discriminate talent level and make it as political, uh, not anywhere near as political as, as we do here. Um, so they do a, a great job of that. And that those guys you mentioned from the town of Ovik, they turned out so many, talented people that was a hotbed of talent and that's what they were doing you know they were making sure like players like things in sweden it's like they play every position so they get to play forward they get to play d even goalie like they'll let them try it they highly 
discourage dump and chase uh, and chip it, chip it high and hard off the glass. They want you to make mistakes. They want you to try and find a creative solution to maintain puck possession and make a play. And that's one thing we do a horrible job of in Canada is we really, really make winning here and development and little, you know, well below yeah. actually in a lot of that. So, I mean, we'll have teams in like Vancouver where I'm from, where kids are playing like six minutes on a third, fourth line uh, of a team. Why do you put your kid on that team? What's the yeah. point of minor hockey? It's development. So your kid's playing six minutes. I don't care if you're first in the West. It means nothing. Your kid's not getting better. Like, it's crazy. He's eight. Yeah, he's eight. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> let him play. Let him play. It's, it's I, like I think I, uh, Sweden, they don't look at, there are no like scores until the age of, I don't yeah. know. They raised 15. it recently too to a higher age group. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're not allowed to travel a certain distance until the age of I think 14 or 15. So they yeah. really make it, you know, just really start local and make it fun and and skilled base. You know, that's uh, yeah, we have a lot to learn. I feel from that. So anyway, that's why I'm like, as you're being kind of in a way the face of you know uh, skills development in Canada. I was like, it would make so much sense for you to 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 work with uh, or, or with hockey Canada and try to make, cause like yeah. we, we have to reshape the whole thing in my sentence. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I'd certainly say that like the main thing is like, we really have to pull back on making, making it like you have to have this amount of money to be able to make it big because yeah. it's, it's just, it keeps getting pushed higher. And now with the Academy model, it's been pushed even higher. We're, we're all we're doing is we're shrinking the talent pool from the hundreds of thousands we have it's of those hundreds of thousands you to have this opportunity you have to have this much money so to play rep and to play travel you have to be paying this amount so you're going to lose out on the players who maybe don't have that much money who could have been very good who had the drive and in sweden that mm -hmm. is something they don't have to worry about uh if if you're good enough you're going to get the opportunity uh to play and, and a good thing you're and a thing you're a good example of too is as you mentioned earlier, you're, you grew up playing a, a, many different sports, you know, yeah. and that is a key thing. Whereas now they're over specialized so young and it's just so all about, young, yeah. all about hockey, 12 months, 12 months a year. So that's, uh, that's, that makes it harder. Uh, whereas they, they believe it's the opposite, but they, they think it's going to make them better. And, but in, in the end, I mean, injuries, if you play, keep playing the same sports, you, you have more risk of injuries in certain areas. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, um while we have you you play a very high level of uh of floor hockey and field hockey that yeah <laughs> don't hear that much of in canada because we're so focused on ice hockey but tell me more about those how you got into him and uh you you played i mean a very high level of uh you became that's how you became a canadian athlete actually so yeah i'll let, I'll let you go with it Oh, yeah. yeah, like the field hockey thing, like I said, was just when I was 21. Uh, I tried out for Team Canada for three years prior. I was on Team Ontario and finally made it my last year. And yeah, just shipped everything uh, out to Vancouver, moved my whole life out there, played professionally for about five years uh, there in Vancouver. Got to go on a bunch of uh, great tours to like New Zealand, Argentina. Uh, a few other places and then once I stopped playing that started doing like the ice hockey training and stuff and then uh, started to realize like how in love with floorball I was and floorball 
they call innebandy uh yeah. in in sweden which yeah, is yeah. indoor ba- bandy which if anyone knows bandy it's the craziest sport. look up on yeah. youtube really cool <laughs> but it's, it's uh crazy yeah, it's crazy. But it's field, uh, it's field hockey played on ice. Pretty That's much. Crazy. Exactly. It's, Best it's, way to say it. So yeah, I played played floorball for Team Canada. Uh just made made the team my first tryout and it was it was good because I played ball hockey my whole life. Um so it was a pretty easy kind of transition to that. And yeah, I've been playing uh, on that team for about five years now. We have a tour coming up. It was supposed to be this December uh, in Helsinki, the World Floorball Championships, but it's going to be pushed, obviously, with everything to probably 2021. And uh, I love that sport. Like uh, when I was in Sweden doing training there, I would uh, play floorball with the the kids there. And obviously in Sweden, they're like 20 times better than we are in Canada. So I'm playing with like these kids who are like 15 and they're like dominating me. I'm like running around like, <laughs> with, like a chicken with my head cut off trying to keep up. But man, I love the sport. Uh, I love how the fact that it, it's a good introductory sport. So if you can't afford ice hockey uh, or you just want to figure out whether you like it at the young age, it's like you can get involved. Uh, gender isn't that much of a, a barrier to entry. Cause usually it's like when you get to 12, the difference in strength between men and women is, is drastically different. But because the ball and the the stick are so light, strength is nothing. It, d- it really doesn't mean anything in floorball, really. So that is taken out of the equation. And it's all like, you know, you have to be very quick in your decision-making, very crafty with the ball, good movement off the ball, all that stuff. So great, uh, great supplementary sport, too, for any hockey player, for sure. What countries are very good, very strong at field and floor hockey that we, we so, know? So, fi- so field would be like... A- Australia, Germany, Netherlands, right. England would be probably round out the top four. And then in, in floorball, it would be Sweden, Finland, uh, Switzerland, uh, and then uh, Czech Republic, uh, I believe, would round but, out the uh, top uh, four. Football, though, it's not... You know, when we think of like floor hockey, ball hockey, we think of like an actual like ice hockey stick and a like right. a, a yellow, very hard ball, but that's not what floor hockey is. <laughs> yeah, fl- yeah. So floor, it's the proper term is floor ball. So floor hockey is kind of like a uh, a game you play in like gym class or whatever with those right. sticks that that we know. Floor ball is played with uh, like uh, really really durable like carbon sticks with plastic blades with holes in it. Right. And the, the the ball is kind of a, almost like a wiffle ball, but it's quite a bit different. It just looks like a wiffle ball. It's very dense. So when you shoot it, like a wiffle ball would like curve and fly all over the place. The floor right. ball is very dense. So it flies pretty straight and hard. It really hurts when it hits you, <laughs> um, but it's very light. And what that means is with the lightness of the ball and the stick, the, the movement and the pace to play is, is drastically faster like because the ball's so light, it just flies everywhere. So when you get the ball and floor ball, you you have to have your next move before you touch that thing or you're yeah. screwed. So it's it's a great sport for just awareness, uh right. making you more aware of there. Have you had a hard time trying to sell it to ice hockey players? Or do they go like ah uh, no, not at all. Oh Man, yeah. Like it's it's crazy. So field hockey you would because Field hockey is like, that's why I got out of it. It's like only righties. You're not allowed to use the backhand of the stick. What? Uh, your crouch over. Yeah, dude, it's weird. Look up. Only the righties? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally weird. And it doesn't translate much to, to ice hockey because uh, right. you, you can't use the backhand. So you're literally doing this like toeies all the time. 
It's, it's weird. Uh, what in floorball, it, it transfers over quite well. If you're a hockey player, you never played floorball before your first time, you're going to have a blast. And it's, I've done clinics all around North America. You'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't have a good time who plays high level hockey. It's an easy sell. It's not something I try and sell people. Like you have to play this for development. <laughs> it's like try a good development tool. It's a fantastic cardio tool. If you don't want to run on a treadmill, just play a floorball game. Right. Uh, and it's a, it's a great uh, introductory tool and a great uh, off ice tool for coaches. If you want a low budget way to work your power play and to talk about positioning, rent a gym, get some floorball sticks and work, work around your systems there. Like it's, there's so many ways to introduce it, but kids love it, man. It's, it was actually blown away by the uh, response, but it's like near a hundred percent. Like everyone loves that sport. Huh. Fascinating. Uh, one thing I really wanted to ask you about was uh, as a guy putting out videos online, <laughs> what's going to happen is people are going to comment. <laughs> and <that's, laughs> yeah. And that's not always positive, unfortunately. Yeah. And you get to deal with it. a lot of stuff. You're like, well, the human kind is very disappointing at times, you know? Oh and, my gosh. And uh, I wanted, uh, and, and I, and I, I'm, I'm asking you about this because I see you're, you're responding a lot of times to some comments and I'm like, but how much time does he put in responding to sometimes like guys who shouldn't, who don't deserve answers or whatever. But yeah. there, are, there are a few comments that keep coming back the same comments about your skills. What are they? Because well, the, the main ones would be, and it's not just like when I'm doing stuff, it's like, even when the NHL or non NHL people are, it's right. like, you know, obviously like they're kind of laughed at now, but they're still used. It's like, should have poke checked. Exactly. Should have played the body. Uh, just play chest to chest. Uh, forget the puck. Just hit him. Um, you know, this guy had his head down and it's like, it's, It, it's unbelievable to me. And, and the reason, like, like you said, and you're totally right to say it is like, these guys don't deserve the response for me. I think about it from a, a different spectrum where I think about kids reading comment sections. because I know they do. Right. So I'm responding more for kids who are reading this. If, if, if someone's going to try and put misinformation out there, I'm going to counter your misinformation with actual facts. because I, I'm actually watching the game sometimes twice Uh, and like deeply reviewing skills. So I know what's going on. So I'm basing my, whenever I say something, I'm actually going to base it on something. Whereas a lot of people feel comfortable just saying things without having to, you know, base it on anything. So it's like, I don't know what it is, but so many of these comments, it's, it's like, you don't watch hockey. Like if you actually <laughs> believe this is true, I yeah. have a hard time believing Uh, you watch the game and it's like that head down one is the funniest thing. Like people have such a, 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 a non-understanding of the difference between looking down and having a head down, right? Like if my head is down, like it's like this, right? Which right. You, you rarely, rarely see people ever do that. Whereas yeah. like people are calling like this head down when they're just doing <laughs> that and my head's not moving. It's yeah. just my eyes are moving. So the difference in what I can see from an actual head down position versus just eyes looking down is very much different. And NHLers do it literally all the time uh, in certain certain circumstances. Like some circumstances, absolutely you can't. Like if you have a guy charging right at you, yeah, do not look down. Uh, even if your head is up, don't look down. But it's all over the game. When I post a video on like my Hey Barber page, Almost all the time, uh, if you're using a toe drag, backhand toe drag, pull between the legs, whatever it is, they're always looking down, but they're doing so uh, 
after scanning the ice and noticing where the free ice is versus where the defense is in relation to where they are. And people, some people just have no clue how to differentiate the two and they make this widespread generalized claim of, Oh, look down, get hit. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. like you'll see players get hit looking down, but are you going to just ignore all the examples where they don't get hit and where it's used successfully? Because there's a key difference. Like when a guy gets hit, he's looking down at the wrong time and we can actually like learn from this and be like, you know, look at where the defender is, look at angle. This is a bad time to look down versus look at where the defender is here. Look at the free ice there. This is a totally different situation. So different application uh, of the skill. So that's what I try and do, but it's, and, it's, can, uh, can it's you, addri- can you also address while we're at it? Can you address once and for all the, 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 the poke check myth? Oh my God. That's the funniest one, man. So like Keeps mainly with goalies, but uh, obviously people use it with defensemen anyway, but the poke check myth is like any stick handling move within poke check reach is therefore a hundred percent stopped by a poke check. And what they fail to recognize is like hitting poke checking is a skill. It's very difficult to do. And when you miss, you're highly exposed. So it's like, it's so insane, but like anytime, whether it's me or whether it's an NHL or whatever, if you're like near the blue paint, making a move like Patrick Kane does all the time, it's like, Oh, poke check would have stopped it. And you're like, Oh gee, I, I like, you're, you're probably ready to do NHL goaltending training. Like <laughs> you, should, you should tell, you should tell Mark Andre Fleury that he should have poke checked. He probably didn't know that that was an option. <laughs> like, geez. Yeah. 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 <laughs> unacceptable but uh <laughs> you uh you uh you, you watch a lot of hockey and you're you're very aware of like you know new move and stuff like that what are you there's so many young players coming in every year and the skills level keeps getting i feel very higher and higher and uh what are your favorite players who are your favorite players to watch you know uh now and and the ones coming up and what are who are the guys you like To, to you know dissect their game and and why yeah i think the the top ones now would be uh patrick kane number one matt barzell uh elias patterson uh those would probably be like my top three guys obviously a little bit biased like taves just because i watch him so much yeah. uh i do love his game because i love datsuk with how he was a two-way player uh and i really love that about uh taves as well as he contributes on on both areas but is still able to put up points i think that's like one of the underrated things about those players is you're like oh taves doesn't put up put up kane points but he's a different player than kane different role uh and he's playing a 200 foot game and very good on the giveaway takeaway ratio chart um so yeah those are, I, i guess be the top guys like barkov like watching him a lot Uh, as well, but pretty much anyone who's, you know, elite in the skating stick handling department, Braden Point, uh, who is the same Barzell to me. Those guys are like mirror images of each other. And when they were playing in the playoffs against each other, I was so excited because I'm like, man, it's like bizarro world out here because they've built their whole skill set on the same blueprint. It seems like they're doing circles, crossovers, their stick handling's great, their vision's great, both great playmakers. Uh, yeah, 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 and yet though one one of them was drafted in the first round, and one yeah. of them was drafted in the third, if I'm correct. Yeah. Round. So why is yeah. that? I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, I don't remember when uh, the the point draft was or whatever, but it's uh, 
obviously back then it's like you're just going off of what they're doing in juniors and uh, I was paying attention to Barzell in junior so I knew why he went so high um but yeah, uh, that, yeah that, Br- that was the year that Boston had T first round picks in a row yeah and yeah. they and they got like Zborial, Sinishin and and uh, and Debrusque passing over Connor Barzal Shabbat. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just yeah, that's it's, just insane. That's the way it is, though. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys are incredible to watch. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, as we're appro- approaching the end of this, and really enjoyed, but uh, yeah, I think we've been been through it all. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you because we talked about Pavel Dasuk. Have you ever met him? Yeah, recently or not recently, uh, briefly. Um, I think it was 2013 or 2014, uh, just at a Red Wings practice, the practice at UBC. I worked there, so I, I got the opportunity to be like, the first one there. I uh, gave him a fist bump as he went onto the ice. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say I met him, I didn't get to talk yeah, to yeah, him, yeah. but I took uh, what'll forever go down in the history books as one of the most legendary pictures because. I'm next to him and I'm smiling ear to ear and he's got the <laughs> Russian smile, which looks kind of like, yeah, like, like he's face, upset yeah. to see me. Like he's like, he looked angry and I'm just like the most excited kid ever. Yeah. But, uh, it was, yeah, it was amazing just watching him do his thing in practice, man. Yeah. The Russian smile is just, it looks like someone being hungry and annoyed. That's, like, <laughs> that's what the Russian yeah, smile looks like. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd rather not be here. That's the Russian smile. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's still got it. Have you seen his uh, his back? Oh yeah, and he's oh, 40, yeah. he's forty something now. Is he forty three? Yeah. That game he had two sick backhanders uh, in it. It was insane. That's crazy. I can't believe he's still playing and doing those things at that age. Uh, yeah, it's just oh yeah. Yeah, ja- Jagger's got to be. It's got to be like what can you be like yeah. i thought i thought i thought i was the only over 40 yeah 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 you know he's guy got, he's got some competition <laughs> pavel thanks for doing this uh it's been quite a pleasure um i think the last thing i would i would uh, i would go to is uh, if there are any kids listening right now working on their skills what are the things you you'd like to tell the kids like hey you should really work on this or that what what are what are the things they should focus on as young hockey players Yeah, I think that the main thing, especially because it's so easy um, <laughs> to cover her face. Eh? Yeah, like, like, yeah, I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see that. T- t- tell her it's actually audio, so she's... she's, she's <laughs> yeah, she's, she's safe. But, she's being uh, yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, just in, in, whether you're in your basement, whatever it is, just as you're stick handling, try and look up, uh, try and look in multiple different directions, try to look left as you're stick handling to the right, and then try to do body movements, um with your with your stick handling at the same time so as you are pulling the uh puck to the left shift your body weight to the left while looking left um you know deception comes from your your body language as well as where you're looking and where the puck is moving all selling like you're going to go one direction so if you can do all those things you can do them in your basement practice them stand still practice them with moderate movement uh, as well and then when you get to the ice try and do them at speed with edge work and uh the better you get those things like you look at Pedersen and he did, he has to do very little to throw guys off and get them to almost trip on their own ankles yep. um but he does them very very well he sells them well uh so that's something you could easily do at your home but you really have to be when i say like looking up uh like actually picking your eyes up and your head up and looking around you really fight not look uh, at the puck at all which is tough to do at a young age uh, for sure 
those those are very good pointers for any any age uh, any age yeah absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely Pavel thank you so much for taking the time it's been a pleasure having you on next time you come to Montreal do not limit yourself to Laval <laughs> the, <laughs> there we go the the local Joe Laval is it's the um, it's the uh, the um, how do we call it it's a Laval is a uh, is synonym with uh, douchebag. Those are the jokes in in, in the area. <laughs> it's a douchebag, uh, you know, oh, uh, hot, hot bed or, or what have you. So you need to come to t to town. All right. And uh, if you look for uh, if you're looking for some beer leagues around town uh, to work on your French, there we go. Yeah, I need that. We'll have we'll have you on. I love it, man. And we'll have you on. Sounds good. Thank you bro. so much. Thanks for yeah, having stay, me. Stay on just for a few seconds as the Sam stuff the recording. But then Sounds again, good. thanks for coming on, man. All right, thank you. Wow, quel épisode de plaisant à faire. Merci énormément à Pavel qui a pris le temps, qui est un gars super sympathique, très, très généreux, très souriant. Vous l'avez peut-être entendu le sourire dans sa voix. Donc, ouais, vraiment, vraiment smart gars, en, en espérant peut-être un jour le recroiser à Montréal. Qui sait? En attendant, allez vous abonner à notre Patreon sur patreon.com slash Profitez 5% de rabais en vous abonnant d'une shot pour l'année. Boom! Et ainsi nous permettre de continuer de vous amener des épisodes que j'ose croire si vous êtes rendu jusqu'ici, vous appréciez. Donc voilà, allez sur notre Patreon. Fun, 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 in the sun, 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 disait euh, Danny Lagacé. OK! Ça, c'est mon cue out. Bonne semaine! OK, bye-bye now, bye-bye.